This presentation is from UX Australia 2016, held in Melbourne. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. But um, yeah, thanks very much everyone for sitting in. So the whole point of this session is purely, it's over to you, it's Q&A. Obviously you have some amazing speaks over the last couple of days and we haven't had a chance to ask them all the questions I'm sure we want. Um, so yeah, as I say, just a quick interactive session, just to understand, Alex here has got a microphone, so just stick your hand up. I think first and foremost, I'll hand over to get a quick introduction, then I'll kick off with a question, and then we'll go from there, if that's all right. So, yeah, Ash, over to you. Quick 30-second introduction, let people oh, know who you yeah. are. Okay, Ash Donaldson, uh, <laughs> Tobias and Tobias, Director of Design there. Uh, behavioral designer, uh, got a background in human factors and, and behavioral economics, so that's me. Beautiful. My name is Ben. Uh, I am the owner of and um, founder of a small user experience design agency here in Melbourne called Thirst Studios. My background's in industrial design, uh, and I guess I transitioned through into sort of the web in the late 90s and, and through into sort of BA, IA, and now UX. I guess that's the latest label. <laughs> I'm Tootie Tagerly. I work at Facebook right now, and in the past I've worked for startups and design firms and large companies, all of the above. I'm Ruth. I am head of user experience at a company in New Zealand called Trade Me. does online buying and selling of stuff and property and jobs. Hello, my name is Ren Pope. I work for Industrial Medium Software in the States, uh, where I do content management, IA. Uh, in the past, I've done a lot of things with uh, big data um, government information sharing and healthcare data. Great stuff, thanks guys. So I've got a bit of a general question for everyone just to kick things off. And it's imparting design thinking into a business who maybe they don't understand it, they don't, under they don't have a much of an insight into it. How do you go about educating a business about design thinking? Um, Who would like to kick that one off? Ren, maybe you got the microphone? You, know? you don't have to. Uh, well, the most important thing I think is uh, understanding who your customer is because uh, I've had government customers that have no idea of design thinking whatsoever, and they don't put it into their practice. So you have to kind of take baby steps with someone like that, whereas with a, uh, when you're dealing with a, a product customer, they have an idea of you're designing a product, so they, they have a, a better idea. So it really is customer-specific, uh, but uh, whenever or whatever you do with your customer, you have to make sure that the design artifacts that you're working with uh, fit their expectations and their needs. Um, I often call it either shelfware or wallware, where you produce an artifact which looks great for them, but they can't use it because they don't know how. So uh, learn who your customer is, uh, and then you can tailor, uh, I guess, the offerings that you give to them. Great, um, I probably have a great example of when I didn't do that. So when I first started at Trade Me, up, down, out, down, okay. When I first started at Trade Me, <laughs> I was like, um, okay, so we're going to get a um, user experience strategy in place and we're going to get design principles and it's going to be awesome and everyone's going to approve it and then that's how it's going to work in the organisation. And so I got all those things in place and sort of didn't realise at the time but got a pat on the head and then the next hundred tactical decisions didn't actually go the way of design or UX. And so um, my colleague Julie and I sort of scuttled back to our corner and we're kind of like, okay, what do we do now? That didn't work. And so what we realised is for our type of organisation, it's exactly that sort of 
which type of organisation you're in, we realised that it had to be from grassroots. And so then from everything we did was about changing the 500 people who do it so that then it doesn't matter if it's not strategic because the, the right tactical decisions are happening which then actually lead up to the right strategic decisions. Whoever wants to crack on, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it really depends. I, I have to say it depends too. Uh, so it, it really depends on... <laughs> <laughs> you just want to drop them off? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it, it could be, um, it, it depends on the level of maturity of, uh, of the organisation. When I went into National Australia Bank many years ago, uh, they had, or they, they thought they had no internal design capability. We put together a design and immersion lab because we had some money to do that. But no one was coming to us until we, uh, until we started doing dog and pony shows. We, we did sparkly things, and it was marketing to, to get, get people across that. Someone like Q Super, uh, no one was interested, all ex-government, all you know, very rigid in, in their ways of, of doing things, until we made it accessible. We put uh, the, the research on the walls, and we had a graphic facilitator create these beautiful cartoons above it, so everyone wanted to come and see what this mess was on, on the walls. Um, and everyone then, want, they, then could digest what was there and got really excited about it. Um, and other clients, we, we go in with a handshake project. They come to us with a, a big project. We say, we're going to do a really small bit of that, just a handshake to demonstrate the success, and then we'll talk about what we do next. Hmm. Very good. Yeah, I, I think I saw a hand go up a little bit back. Uh, yeah, this is a... Um what would you call it? Not political, uh, turf war turf sort of war. Uh, turf, war. turf war sort of question here. Uh, is uh, UX part of service design or service design part of UX? <laughs> An arm wrestle, I think that question is. Yeah. Who wants to answer that? In my opinion, it's all just design. Hmm. So, I, I can see why labels get put onto things because it's easy to sort of then compartmentalise or whatever it happens to be. And I, and I know, broadly speaking, the answer to this. Certainly, I think, amongst the guys I work with is that it's kind of UX is online and service design is offline, but it's not really that cut and dry. But in my opinion, it's just all design, really. It's the same disciplines, the same process, the same approach. It's just, uh, it's, all, yeah, it's all one of the same. I completely agree with that. If anything, it's all aspects of problem solving, finding the right problems for specific groups of people, whether it's online and offline, all different facets of it, and it's almost an it depends answer because that's what we do as designers, but it's using the right context to solve the problems for a certain set, set of people. So I'd say it's the, it's the same. It's all design and problem solving. Um, I think it's culturally dependent because every culture has their own language. Uh, so... I, I had a lot of frustration with this. I spent five years... Uh, on the international standards defining what UX was. So I wrote the definition for UX and no one's seen it. <laughs> no one's heard of it. Um, and, and it was an all-encompassing thing because it, it, it looks at all points of, of an experience. But service design is a good way for a lot of organisations to differentiate from uh, user interface design uh, or interaction design. So service design says we're doing the big picture journeys and then we're going to, to narrow in on some of the digital part of it 
and they call that UX in some companies, they call it UI in some companies, they call it interaction design in com some companies, but it is a good thing to, to be able to differentiate so you're using a common language as long as you start using that common language consistently. So from that perspective, I can follow on from that a little bit. Do you think junior people coming through industry should be training up as just designers, or should they focus on user experience digital, or should they focus on broader design principles? <laughs> I think a lot of our responsibility is to help figure out what the best way to educate people coming into the field is. And I'd look at it a couple of different facets. One is, what aspects are you most drawn to and, mm. and why? You know, do you like building things more? Do you like thinking about the whole end-to-end -end picture more? And that can be a, a focus that you, you, you work towards. But I do think a lot of the schools and the educational programs teach process, mm. teach problem solving, teach empathy and user focus, and you kind of use all of it. Mm. I think let the best designers pick up what they need to know on, on the job, because mm. the tools will change, the names will change, the ways of thinking about things will change, but you're going to be solving similar types of problems. Mm. Okay. Yeah, what she said, fair enough. Easy, easy response. Uh, good. Uh, Alex, I think we saw... Oh, he's got the microphone. Perfect. Yeah. Hi. Um, I'm just wondering, uh, you're all, you know, you've all probably, you've progressed in your careers, you are directors, owners, etc. Um, do you have mentors, and how do you find a mentor? Where, like, where, as seniors, as people who are seriously experienced, <laughs> um, and also, um, what should someone keep in mind when they approach someone to mentor them? Uh, yeah, very good question. So... Uh, environments like this are very good, especially if it's something that you come to every year. Uh, um, it's really funny. One of my best mentors, uh, I see him every year at the conference around the United States, and we live 30 minutes away from each other, and we never see each other <laughs> unless we're at conferences because we're so busy. But uh, we become very good friends. He's a very good mentor. He's considered one of the, the best in the field, and uh, I'm, I'm lucky that he, he talks to me. I, I feel like, wow, you, you talk to me um, the other the other my other great mentor I, I got from school so uh, one of my professors uh, after after I was done with studies uh, I just kind of caught on to his coattails so uh, organizations like this uh, uh, the, and I, I find that uh, this is a very accessible community so the very senior folks don't put themselves on pedestals you can come right up to them and talk to them and um, if you hang around long enough they become a mentor and they'll you, so. I just say that is a good question. It's something that I'm kind of um, trying to work out for myself at the moment, because uh, you do kind of naturally have this kind of progression through your career, and you, and and, they, and and you sort of find mentors along the way. But I'm now at a point where I'm kind of doing leadership and managing a team, and not doing designing so much. Um, I guess not kind of hands-on on the tools, and it's and, and I'm now in a position doing something that I, I don't haven't trained in, and I'm not qualified for, and and I kind of um, so yeah, that's something that I, I, I don't necessarily have the answer, but I'm kind of trying to figure that out for myself. It's it's important. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is that um, people and it kind of back to Ren's point that if um, if you approach somebody and say I, I love what you do, can you kind of help me? That's really flattering, and I would say that most nine times out of ten people are, are going to be responsive to that and help you out so yeah it's about i guess identifying people that you um you know value and appreciate and, and just talking to them asking them i wanted to share some very very practical tips when seeking a mentor and when approaching someone first 
figure out exactly what you want mentorship in. What do you want to learn from them and approach them with that? You know, I want to learn to be a better public speaker or I want to learn to refine my craft of prototyping. I think as specific as you could be and if you've spent some time thinking about it, approach them with, with a proposal. I would love to informally meet with you for 30 minutes every other month and maybe we, we can just try it for a little bit and you know do that for six months just a, a set amount of time I think or a, a light let's just meet for coffee I'd love to pick your brain on XYZ I think makes it easier for someone who might have a really busy schedule and appointments to be like yes I would love to do that because I think everybody especially people in this community as Ren was saying loves ha helping other people but it definitely helps if someone knows what they want help on to be more focused. Great, thank you. And um, one thing that I've, I've learned is you shoot as high as you want with mentors. Uh, you know, when, when I first started reading uh, BJ's papers, I was like, wow, I've got some great questions, but he's, you know, up there and I can't approach him. And one day I, I just sent him an email and he got on the phone to me and was on the phone for two hours at his expense. Uh, and, you know, he became a mentor very quickly and became good friends with me. Um, uh, over the years, everyone who's approached me, uh, I've been happy to mentor. I've, I've, I've got about 15 people I'm mentoring right now, uh, just because it's one of those things that, as you grow through these things, you, you want to help people navigate the, the tough bits that, that you did, especially when you become a dad, as you know. So. Great. Any other questions out there? The only other thing I would want to add to that is that the mentorship goes both ways. You know, I think that if I'm mentoring someone or being a mentee, I think I learn just as much from the person on the other side. So don't ever hesitate to ask. Sure. Hi. Um, I've got a question that's sort of been burning away for a while. And I thought, given that you guys are all here, it might be good to ask. <laughs> um, Every week there's like a new technique or practice that emerges um, online for how to conduct UX practice. Um, you know, it might be a way of interviewing or uh, evaluating a test or, or some new, new sort of technique. And for me that might be a sign of our industry maturing, you know, to a point where maybe there aren't any, aren't any techniques that are, you know, um, left to discover. That we've got a concrete toolkit of... Um, things that we call on and use repeatedly without feeling the, the need to add more. And I'm kind of wondering, is that the opinion that you guys might share or do we feel that the industry itself has matured to a point where we don't have to keep adding new tools like other disciplines like um, architecture or, or even science, that type of thing. So I'm just curious about like the, the, the constant um, addition of new tools and techniques and whether that's, there's an end point. Um, I personally love that about the industry. I don't think it'll ever stop, and I think you know, you change or you die. And um, but I, I don't like to. It can be overwhelming if it's like, oh, it's another one, another one. So I just think of it as kind of constant experimentation. So it doesn't have to be a new method. It can be a tweak on a new method. But you're always just going, oh, that's interesting. Let's give that a crack. Oh, that didn't turn out so well. Let, you know, so it's not. It's, but yeah, I don't, I don't want to be doing the same projects today with the same methods that I did a year ago or that I did two years ago? 
Yeah, it's a similar thing, really. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of what excites me about the industry, and it kind of really annoys me at the same time because it is constantly moving. Mm. Um, but I guess not getting stagnant and, and, and staying in one place is kind of what interests me. I guess that's by virtue of being a designer. You're not satisfied. You want to keep improving. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think possibly it's a bit like web design was as well in the early days. There were new techniques coming out all the time, CSS and mobile first and all these things kept happening and that seems to be, it's still growing but it's kind of leveled out a little and I think the same thing will be true of UX over time. I, I think it's a different area than something like uh, architecture. Um, the basis of it, uh, the, the basis of human-centred design uh, is a very simple model and that never changes, the framework never changes. The, the techniques that you apply, that may change as there's new avenues that open up. You know, um, uh, so you're, you're either going to be doing formative, uh, evaluative, uh, formative or, or summative research. Uh, you're either going to be looking for insights or, or validating something. So that'll stay the same. It's just with new technologies, there comes new ta new channels, and those new channels will will provide new to, uh, new avenues for tools because people are frustrated that they can't do the research in that area or they can't do the the design in that area. So, because we're at the forefront of technology, those tools will always be changing. I believe. Yeah. Great stuff. Have we got one more. Uh, I, I think that one of the things that is a big challenge for us is that there are no physics to a digital world. So where you have an architecture, you know that you have to have a certain, there's a, a load dependency or, or dependent on physics or the building will fall down. For us, uh, the sky's the limit. So it will always change. And I think that uh, in our profession, we shouldn't be tied to tools or techniques. We should have an understanding of of concepts so that you can understand no matter what tool you're using or no matter what technique, you're using the right technique and the tool in the right fashion to get what you want. So if uh, you were given a bag of cotton balls, three sticks of licorice, and a piece of paper, you should be able to use them in some sort of understand how you can creatively use them. And I, I say that facetiously, but I've worked on client, on client site before where all I've had is Microsoft Word and PowerPoint, and I've had to produce artifacts and actually design. So... Um, learn how a tool works and how it works to your what you need to do for the task that you're, you're doing no matter what the tool is or the technique completely agreed but damn it I was so pissed when Adobe stopped supporting fireworks <laughs> so you, you might love some of your tools yeah. but get used to new ones <laughs> sure great Hi, we've, we've heard uh, an ongoing theme and uh, two very different uh, views today from Michael about really slowing down and doing proper ethnography. And then um, from Tudy, we heard the, the opposing view that sometimes to keep up with all of our developers, we have to almost uh, not have not do any research and just screen. I, I know you're, you were saying it to, to just win empathy with them. And, but I, I was just, all of you, I think, struggle with that, both from uh, big corporates and agencies as well. How do you balance... Um, you know, how much research do we do, how much design do we do, and, and what's the right balance that you've found? I have the mic, so I'll... <laughs> this is one of those terrible it-depends answers. It, it is, because I think you want to do as 
as much research and ethnography as you can get away with. I, and how you get away with it is maybe it's suited to the right problem at hand. Although actually I do have an asterisk for when a project, talk about it, I think I talked, a project that I worked on at Method where our client was Microsoft who wanted to launch a phone, a, a social phone, um, the Kin phone, and they had done three years of research about how people work with with phones, how they want to use this as their social lifeline. It would have been great to be a researcher on this team because they went all around the world and did that. It didn't help the product. The product was on the market for two weeks because of just huge underlying technical constraints and engineering constraints and internal politics of the company, which meant that the, the implementation of it was deeply flawed despite that much research, so I just contradicted myself. <laughs> Um, I think you put it best yesterday in your talk when you talked about it being about trust for me. It's not about time, it's about trust. So for our work, if someone has a pressing need, we make sure we deliver to that pressing need and whether that's literally go out on the street this afternoon and get them something, we'll do that. But at the same time, we'll kind of be working with the deeper study at the same time. So if you, if you, we never say halt the project, we've got to do some deep research. So we always are about the project keeping on going forward, but at the same time, if we know that in a few months we can support them with some much better research, we'll also have that going on in parallel, and that seems to work so that they trust that we're gonna, we understand that they need something to deliver, but we're also getting them the deep stuff that they need later on. I think it also depends just on, I, I mean, Going back to, to what Michael said, it's the difference between fast culture and slow culture. Uh, for us, whenever we're framing a project, it, it comes up to, is this something that's just um, you know, base level? Is, is it visceral? Is it, is it a, a fad-based thing? Is this something that you just need to get, get to speed to market and get some traction on it? Or is it mission critical? Is it about someone with an alcohol dependent, uh, dependency or cancer? Um, if it is, I'm not going to do just surface research. I'm going to spend, you know, six, eight weeks with some people, with, with three or four teams in there, um, because the impact of, of what we do has serious consequences. Whereas if it's just for something that's flash in the pan for a product uh, or for a digital service, it doesn't matter as much. I care a lot about this topic, so I have a lot to say. Um, this is going to, again, be a little bit of a contradiction, but it's hard for me to argue against getting a product out and having real people use it in their everyday lives, because it's hard to argue against as much ethnographic research or mock-ups or scenarios or six to eight people usability tests as opposed to it's out, does it resonate, will people use it? So, yeah. Yeah, I, I'd absolutely second that. We, we now, you know, people that sometimes are like, oh, we don't want to release it because we're still not sure about that. And I'm like, your pilot is now your best user research. So get it out to pilot, get, you know, do whatever you need because that is where you're, that's at the fidelity that you're now going to need to learn. So there's nothing else we can learn in the lab. Any other questions out there? Thanks for being so candid, guys. Following on from that, then, I had one, and this will be a controversial one to see what people say. Does there need to be a clear ROI for UX, or is user satisfaction a better indicator of success? 
Who wants to kick that one off? <laughs> Why is user satisfaction not a clear ROI? So I said it's a controversial one. One of the things I'm proudest of of Facebook is that on top of revenue metrics, usage metrics, growth metrics, we have a metric that is called cares about user, which is do will someone think that Facebook cares about its users? And that's a customer satisfaction metric, it's a sentiment metric, but it is also a way of tracking over time kind of just the value of, of trust. Mm. So I would say that it is a it is a measure of ROI. Good. I just have another question for everyone seeing here, actually, because it's something we're, we're struggling with. We get asked quite a lot about ROI. Yeah. What is the ROI for the UX? Why should I invest in this? And, and we struggle a bit with answering that, if I'm perfectly honest. Mm. Um, does anybody have a good response to that? Help me <laughs> out. What do I say to my clients? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm really lucky because I'm internal, and it's sort of I've been there five years, so I can be like, remember that really shit project that happened? Yeah, that's, that's why we do this thing now. So, yeah, that makes it kind of quite an easy argument for us. I'm internal as well to a software company, so my customer is the company. Mm. And when we have a release and no one's buying it because it's too hard to use, I kind of... And the, uh, to be kind to uh, the non-design part of the house, but the development for the house, they really don't see the sometimes the benefits of, of how you can gain ROI out of good design. They just think that I will develop and the masses will come and use it. So um, actually showing them the benefits of testing and showing them that, yes, something that is more usable, something that, is, that uh, has a good experience around it can actually boost sales. Um, so I think that answered the question. It did? Okay. Certainly. Sorry, it's the jet lag. <laughs> it's a conversation, so, yeah. Further questions? Help me out there. Can I expound on that oh, a please, little bit? Oh, please, please. Sorry, I think Titi, you don't let me always need an ROI. Yeah. You always need an ROI and metric because we work for companies that live and die on ROI and live and die on metrics. And we might not have the perfect ones yet, but find the one metric you can hang your, your hat on or a proxy metric or something like when I work for an enterprise software company using uh, retention, customer retention numbers as something that user experience design can help, uh, mm. can help further those numbers as well. I do think find a number. Mm. Sure. Um, something that I would also caution against uh, is the, the time scale for, for that number. So um, working with uh, transactional products or banking products or um, products that people use every day um, you can say, you know, here's your baseline metric. Now we're going to increase it this much. Um, and I made some stupid mistakes when I was younger by saying that to a bank uh, working on their online banking stuff uh, because any change that you make will drop all metrics for about three months and then they creep back over it. Mm. So you say, in three months or more, <laughs> yeah. your metric will, first of all, it'll bounce down, then it'll go up. So the hardest problem that I've had to deal with is one of my teams is responsible for the ad creation flow on Facebook. And if you know Facebook's revenue numbers, it's based on ad creation. And we redesigned the flow, and it was clearly a better design from everything that we saw. It took 
six months to launch it because it took six months before the conversion numbers were neutral enough for us to launch it. Little by little, A-B test by A-B test, and it was hugely painful, but that was the pragmatic nature of we are not gonna tank this large company's revenue numbers, but damn it, we will get to a better experience even if it takes six months. Actually, that, that's a really good pragmatic point. When, when you're working on software, one, one of the great things to do is, um, as I mentioned uh, yesterday, multivariate testing is a, a great thing, but sandboxing as well, being able to say, we're going to, to have an experiment on this change. There, there'll only be 100, 1,000, whatever number uh, of people that are going to experience this change until we can see the numbers go up. Otherwise, it doesn't launch. And so few companies do that, which is, it, it amazes me. Good. I think there's a question there. I, yeah, I think you kind of just answered it a little bit, so sorry if I'm repeating myself. Um, yeah, I currently work for not for profit, and surprisingly, they don't do anything unless we can get money from it, because uh, you know we have to give our members something. Uh, so I'm trying to squeeze in UX into the marketing strategy and all that, but yeah, it's just if we can't see a dollar amount attached to that, then they won't do it. And the things like you know, obviously having good UX will bring members to us. But how do you, like, attach that without, like, data or, you know, how, how do you express that to people that you do have to wait and if they just won't, they don't get it? Learn yeah. from marketing. They yeah. make shit up. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> no, no, trust me. They I have make very shit up convincing all the time, stories. But, yeah, I, I try my hardest, but it's just it, because, like, we have to go through the board and the chairman and a lot of the chairmen are, like, you know, 60 to 80 and yeah they don't it never passes but 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 that's the that's the interesting thing about marketing marketing relies on um to, to create their business cases they rely on what looks like very specific data which is made up pretty much you know we, we got a vague reference over here we, we've got some census data here we mash them together and we say 78 percent of people love this uh, or or we're going to have a an up uplift of at least 15 basis points on this um, and that's how they get it across because that's what uh, the, the older business people and, and boards accept. And um, a, a lot of UX practices don't see that. They, they get frustrated that marketing gets budget, but UX can't because they don't use the same type, type of tactics. Run a survey of your donors. 60% of the donors would likely give more money to the nonprofit if XYZ. And the yeah. same thing, marketing, do qualitative interviews for them, get them on their side, get them on your side, because that's what the uh, the money folks care about. Yeah, it's more that they, they also won't allow us to spend our time. Like our, they're like, well, I'm paying you wage, so you did this thing that's gonna create this flyer that's gonna do this. Whereas that, yeah, it's the wage thing as well. They won't let you waste your time, I guess, doing that kind of stuff. So th this is gonna sound bad, I guess, for the industry, but. <laughs> If you called it design or you called it business analysis, do you think that they would say okay and you could do the tasks that you would? And then once you're starting the project, you're, okay, this is UX design. I, I mean, I, I, I work with the government and they, yeah. they are working off of um, uh, their, their job description are so ancient and primitive that UX design is considered uh, engineering like engineering research or, or just some weird 
weird concept. So whatever it takes to do the job, and then you're still doing it. Um, again, we want people to know what UX is and, and everything, but you can do that as a backfill. But whatever it takes to get in the door, do it. Yeah, and so I guess, like I you like said, make, a, make up design. You know, yeah. Make up your title. Yeah, cool. Thank you. I think I see, was there another one back there? Yeah. Hello. Um, I heard some of you have transitioned from different industries into UX. Um, my background is in web development. Um, the reason I started going down the path of UX was um, you've got a lot of interface designers that probably aren't doing as user-centered as you'd like, so you're getting uh, a lot of design problems getting solved by developers. Um, obviously, that's a pretty substantial source of frustration. So, yeah, any tips on how do you sort of move from, you know, a more possibly a more technical area into more UX? Uh, um, I, I, if I could, I'd like to actually ask a question of everybody here. Who works on an integrated team where you have designers and developers and business analyst type folks? Okay. Hmm. Uh, who has a seamless um, a seamless process from in where everybody talks to everybody and it's like almost serendipity? <laughs> right, okay. Oh, we do? Oh, I'm going to talk to you guys at the they end. They have to be. All right. They, you guys don't get to leave. Um, so I, I have this, I, I have this, uh, th this problem all the time where... Um, and in the, in the United States, there's a, a group of ladies that have a, an excellent um, presentation that they do uh, called the imposter syndrome. Uh, and they, they, they normally do this at an information architecture uh, forum. But uh, where, because the term UX has not been around and there's not a lot of um, formal academic programs in it, that uh, when you say UX, that's almost a, a made-up term to someone who's done software development and has a master's degree, and they can say, I've got you know, 20, 30, 50 years of academic research behind me to say that I know what I'm doing. So, oh, and by the way, because I've, I took a design class uh, uh, in college, that means I know how to design. Look at my pretty, pretty design here. And I say, why are you giving a three million color wheel to somebody that needs to pick four colors? Um, just something simple like that. So, um, uh, there, there's a, a, a definite um, opportunity, I think, where, well, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I think that, that there needs to be more outreach between the technical and the, the, the UX world. And folks that come from the technical side, I think we need to, to bring them in and, and use the, the skills and the knowledge from the technical side and vice versa. And I would love to do, like, you know, drag your developer to UX day um, kind of thing so that they can understand what it is, what you really do. And it's not, you know, a bunch of people getting in rooms and throwing sticky notes up on a board and coming out with, you know, something like a Ouija board thing, and that's how we got it. Because in some certs, they, they, they think that it's almost like marketing. Well, they make that shit up. Uh, you know, they go into a room and they say, this is the way it's going to work and believe it, and now I've got to develop to it, so... Um, that's a little bit of a soapbox issue for me, so if I rant it, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I, I was trained as an engineer, kind of like a, a beam-loading type engineer, um, ended up in here. We, with all of the research we do, we 
always have a designer in there and almost always have another member of the team, so that's developers and testers. So every project we're doing, generally the whole team have seen one of those um, one of those user research. And for me, I think it's if if anyone, no matter what their background is, if they have emp if they're empathetic and they're inquisitive, then you can turn them into a UX person. If they have neither of those, if it's a designer who has neither of those, they'll never be a UX designer. So for me, that is the crux of UX: is empathy and inquisitiveness. Completely agree. Um, yeah, and we're, we're the same. We're a small agency. We're like 12 guys um, and a mix of um, everything from sort of research and design through to front and back end build. And, and by virtue, I guess, of being a small team and it is a collaborative gig that we have, um, we get everybody involved in, in everything. So you never know where the best idea is going to come from. Maybe the back end developer has an awesome idea that's way better than the researcher or the designer came up with. Um, and the other thing I was just going to say from, from, from my own personal um, Experience. If you want to make that transition, just do it. You can. You just start doing UX work. Just start getting involved in research or design, even if it's if you can't do it within your own uh, nine to five gig. Just pick something. Pick a site you don't like, or pick a problem that you have in your life, and start working on that. Um, you know that product. Redesign that product, or whatever it happens to be. Just just, just start doing it. Basically, here's one I prepared earlier. <laughs> James, come up. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's true. I'm a recovering web developer. I think about eight, eight years ago, nine years ago, I was working on a project. Um, and yeah, I, it, Ash was working on it and I got a spec and I was like, oh, wow, okay, so there's some thought behind design for a change. That's nice. Um, and I guess what I started doing is I started going to industry events like this one, started going to um, all the meetups, just talking to people, trying to find out what do you do, how did you do what you do, um, and then eventually just expressing interest over and over again in learning this stuff, and eventually someone gave me a shot. The thing he missed out is he just started doing it at the company that, that he was at, which gave him the, the practical skills too. And I would say thank you for being curious and interested because in almost every project I've worked on, my engineer has saved my ass because they've thought of an edge case, a use case that I had no idea about. And just for super practical tips, if you can do it within your company, great. If you can't, simply because this is the currency of getting hired as a designer, build up a portfolio, find a, a pro bono project, find a nonprofit, and do the work make the solution, be the, the full designer, and especially be the designer on it, because I think I've done both, and my worry is when I'm worried about the technical implementation, I need to get it to work, you know, at the, at the expense of the design, so maybe purely just focus on the design part and build up your portfolio. Beautiful. Any other questions? We've got a couple of minutes left. Oh, look, oh that's easy. <laughs> Didn't have to go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Hey everyone, um, I was wondering if you could tell us, just for a fun end question, maybe yeah. for us more than you guys, could you tell us about a time that you failed spectacularly on a project? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> Only one. <laughs> Let me, I'm failing right now. Um, uh, I, 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 uh, I left the States on Friday and at 10 o'clock on Friday I had a meeting with a customer who was pretty much uh, squashing me and yelling at me for going away for three weeks. Um, so 
Uh, yes, it, there's a the, you know the old saying: fail and fail often, fail quickly. Um, this one failed for for numerous reasons. One, um, the customer had unbearable technical problems with their network, so we could not do testing or implement. They had a huge bureaucracy, bureaucracy that we couldn't start working. They had a fire, so they we uh, they were in a disarray. And on our side, um, we could not take design and put it into product quick enough um, because of other um, projects that were going on in our company. So um, what the customer is getting is highly suboptimal, but uh, there's always opportunities, and our company is definitely looking at how to mitigate what we are giving them and what opportunities do we have that we can solve it in the end um, or solve in the future. So, There's that great saying, which I will um, completely make a, make a hash of, something like, if you're not failing now, then you're playing it too safe or something like that. And uh, I think it's probably different when you're consulting because, you know, as a consultant, it was harder to fail and be open about failing. But as an internal organisation, like, we've got our biggest project on at the moment. We did a whole lot of research all the way through it. The research looked like it was all on track. We went live, and it is just tanking in terms of, um, in terms of the things that we want to come through. And part of that is, is actually just the responsiveness of it. It is so slow compared to what we have. So, and I, you know, I've said to our, our chief product officer, from a UX perspective, there is one thing, you know, we've got a list of things to change from an interface perspective. There's one thing we need to work on, and that's responsiveness. Um, so, yeah, we, we're, we're all, I could probably name you five things <laughs> that have failed in the last week because if we're not doing that, then we're not experimenting enough. Two stories. Uh, I worked at Method Design for five years. Countless projects. Two made it to market. One being the failed phone that lasted on the market for two weeks. <laughs> if you're going to be the innovation agency thinking about new concepts and blue sky, you're going to fail a lot. Um, second story of failure, just the ads creation experience that I was just telling you about. I was kicked off the team. The engineering manager and product manager said, we don't want to work with you anymore. You're not aligned with us. So it's a failure of trust, failure to build trust, communication, kind of empathy with, with that team, just so that they trust that my motivations and pushing us further and beyond are, are the same as their motivations. I can't think of any. I'm desperately trying to think of any. I'm sure we fell loads. Yeah. No, 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 absolutely not the case. I can't... Um, well, I've got one that's top of mind, which is we built the UX Australia site and the uh, scheduled table doesn't really work very well. <laughs> In fact, it's completely broken. So there you go. There's a there very public failure. So, um, but I guess, I guess the story behind that is that's something that we hadn't designed or weren't ready for before it got implemented. And so now we're going to talk to Donna about fixing it afterwards. Um, very recently, uh, we worked with um, a, a client who has a little startup, um, and we set the expectations up front for what we were going to, to give him. He had a very, very small budget. We were going to do some research and, and provide him with some insights. He was an engineer. 
we should have known he needed a thing. He didn't want to know what people thought and, and how they might use that thing. He wanted a thing. We, we could have just done you know, a, a set of five wireframes and he would have been over the moon. But he parted ways with us because at the end of it, he didn't get what, what he was hoping for, even though we'd already given him a statement of work and, and everything. Should have flagged it straight away as an engineer. He would want a thing. There we go. Great. We're at, that's all, folks. We've run out of time. I think we should all clap. Thank the panel. Thank you, Ren. Thank you, Ruth. Tutti, Ben. Ash. You sound like a, like a new band or something. That's great. But no, thanks very much. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2016. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.